Welcome to the Unaccepted Podcast, the podcast for car enthusiasts and anime fans. I'm your host, Tony. And I'm Manny. And sitting, I'd say roughly about 75 miles to our northwest <laughs> is, our <laughs> is our friend of the show, Jaime. Say hello. Hi, guys. So uh, we're doing this our first time on a remote guest. So um, this will be interesting. I'm curious to see how the final product is going to sound. <laughs> Hopefully good, I hope. I, I think so. I think we kind of, yeah. uh, you know... Crossed our T's, dotted our I's on all the technical side. So hopefully everything comes out pretty nice at the end. Yeah, we got the technology, yeah. so it should work out, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's 2020. Come on, man. We've been doing quarantine meetings forever now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, so Jaime is going to comment on a couple stories. Then we're going to kind of jump into uh, an interview with Jaime. And he's going to kind of run through us with uh, all of our all of the questions I've received for a while now about NASA and getting started on the track. Mm-hmm. So okay. if anybody's the man to kind of talk to us about, it, it's going to be Jaime. So, yeah. So with that said, Manny, let's uh, kick off our first one you wanted to get in. Yeah, I just wanted to give some updates on like anime films that are coming out that have already come out. Just some updates. Uh, right now, we got uh, just announced for Funimation Aniplex USA. Uh, if you guys want any more information, you can look it up on Anime News Network. But they have announced that the release of Demon Slayer, the film uh, Infinity Train, uh, and it will come out actually early next year for 2021. So it's going to be interesting seeing coming back from like their current situation with COVID and how movie theaters are going to play out and how they're going to want to do this as well. Because they do want to try to release it for theaters in North America. I Well, I mean, anime culture and stuff aside, I think COVID might have killed movie theaters for good. <laughs> I think they just did announce that Regal Cinemas went out of business or declared bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to look back on that because I don't care about that, honestly. <laughs> but it's going to be interesting how they're going to play this out because they, like I said, they do want to do like a, the- a theatrical release um, in movie theaters for this movie. And although I know there's a big hype for this movie, especially ever since the season ended, first season and everything. I mean, well done anime in my opinion. I don't know which uh, Jaime have you have ever, from what Tony tells me, you're like somewhat of an anime fan. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the anime Demon Slayer. I mean, I've heard of it mainly because, like, in college, I studied Japanese, and mm-hmm. I did, like, two semesters abroad over there, so we had a lot of people who were really deep into anime. My, like, knowledge of anime was very limited because I, I got into it for cars, so, like, I was kind of the odd person out for that that group. But I have heard of those uh, animes, pretty much all the ones you've you guys have talked about except for the mysterious girlfriend X. Um, <laughs> so Jaime, how, how did you enjoy that episode? That that was really weird. It reminded me a little bit of uh, what is it? Uh, like my first time dealing with the uh, kind of like the weird uh, niche areas of anime <laughs> uh, from like some of the friends that I studied abroad in Japan with. So, so what other niches are you talking about here? Well, I remember when I was over there, one of the girls that I knew uh, that was American-born, um, but was studying about uh, abroad with us. Okay, uh, she introduced me to boys love anime and like all that <laughs> stuff, and I was just like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" 
Like oh, I just knew like the anime. Dragon Ball Z, maybe Initial D stuff, and, and then all of a sudden we're in like a, I, I guess boys love and yaoi stuff, and I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> like this is a lot. Like, did what's she going have? On? Uh, did she have French braids, glasses that shimmered really brightly so you couldn't see her eyes? Dude, dude, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yes. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> I remember I dated this girl. She was like. I have to tell you something. He's like, what? It's like, uh, would you get, would you think I'm weird if I'm into like Yahweh and boys? I was like, would you get mad if I watch hentai? I was like, no. I was like, okay, then we have no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about understanding. Right. I mean, (laughs) Hey, we understand. That's good. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess. So would you say, uh, the, the drool kink was weirder or not as weird as the boy love? Well, like, so this was something that I kind of, like, was interested in, like, figuring out, like, why all of a sudden, like, is there, like, I don't know, like, storyline or something going on there? And, like, one of the things that she told me that, like, in regular manga, or, like, the relationships are very one-sided, from what she was telling me, and it's always, like, the girl is always pining over the guy, and it's, like, head over heels where... Like in the BL or Yaoi or I'm, I'm again I'm way out of my depth in this one. Uh, it had more of like complicated relationships. I don't know. You so kind of sound like an expert on boy love now. I, I know. <laughs> that's, that's all I learned from it, and I was like, "Cool, man. Whatever." I mean, I'm here looking at park, uh, vacant parking lots at like R33s and R32s that are just chilling there, and nobody knows what the hell they are because they're like Camrys over there. <laughs> and they're inside of the like book offs looking for the BL stuff. And I'm in the parking lot going like, damn, these are real Volks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, yes, for the record, she is right for the, as a generalization, you know, they target their audience and because their yeah. audience are mostly adolescent, teenage, you know, young adult males, it's usually the ro- the roles are reversed in that sense of the girls mm. pining over the guy. Yeah. So got to do it for the ladies too, I guess. Hey, and you know, everybody likes weird stuff. I mean, I'm out there uh, into cars and driving, and that's kind of why I decided to learn what all those funny letters in my Civic actually meant. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. What else we got, Manny? Well, so again, this movie for the Demon Slayer movie, it will be released in Japan uh, I want to say, uh, yeah, October 16th, it will actually be open for about 38 IMAX theaters in Japan. So they'll be getting the early release, like always, because it's domestic. And then early, early, early 2021 is when we're going to see it here. But if it, we see it here. Yeah. So that's the plan for Funimation and Aniplex USA. So we'll have to see about that. Yeah, because Japan's doing a whole lot better with the with the COVID response than we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are so, you a movie go- goer, Jaime? Yeah, I like movies. Um, I remember the last time I was over there in Japan, I actually saw one of the, um, they call it Biohazard over there, but it's um, Resident Evil. So I saw that over in one of the islands called uh, Kochi. Cool. Yeah. So it's interesting to have to read the subtitles for English. And just be like, oh man. Nice, nice. 
And then for another update, uh, so it was just announced a new trailer as well, or a new teaser for the Monster Hunter live action film. If you remember, Monster Hunter is a big game series that me and a few kind of other friends that you know play and everything. Very big series, especially in Japan and everything. Oh, yeah. So they will be having a live action film with uh, Resident Evil movie star Mila Jovovic. Oh, shit. Yep. So she's going to be featured in the film. I think she is going to be the main character, but they will be having her inside the movie. Okay. Um, there is some speculation. I don't know if it's true. I haven't watched the teasers or any of the trailers that they've done so far, but I think they are going to be showing like machine guns and everything and tanks. So if they do, it, the movie's going to go to shit, honestly. <laughs> However, uh, they did show a, t- a teaser recently to the creators of Monster Hunter, the Japanese creators, and it's got some fairly well re- good responses from them and everything. So I'm looking ho- uh, forward to see how this game is, or the movie is going to be from this. Like this game is like really good, like big franchise, especially. I don't know if you are into gaming or anything, or you know much about Monster Hunter, uh, Jaime. Well, one of the guys, my roommate, um, when I was over there, that's pretty much all he played. So he was like deep into it, and I would just watch him like collect armor and whatnot. So I was like, dude, that's pretty dope. But I, I'm just like not that deep into it. Um, for me, not even really driving simulators. It's just not something that I like do very well in. Mm-hmm. I kind of suck at those. So I, I, I need the feedback of uh, the car. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, no, it's understandable, actually, honestly. Um, I don't know about you, T- uh, Tony. Like, what would you say about that? I mean, I'm more or less in a Jaime's boat. I haven't played it. Um, I think usually when I do gaming, it's kind of very seldom because I'm busy doing a whole ton of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I usually go to straight, like, Forza or something else, usually yeah. as my first pick. Um, I guess more out of my nerdy times, I used to do a lot of, like, ESO so uh, sometimes I jump back on there, but other than that, I haven't really jumped into it. But you guys make it seem pretty fun, like it's a full multiplayer thing. So I was thinking about maybe for the next one, I'd probably try to jump on. For the next Monster Hunter game, it's going to be for the Switch only. So okay. oh, I don't have I a Switch, have Switch, so I don't, I, I won't even get the chance to play it anymore. Oh. And the game is not going to be that fun anymore because they already just released their big final update, the last update for the game. Yeah. In October or the beginning of October, actually. Okay. Yeah. Game had a good run, honestly. So uh, I, I still have to actually beat the final boss that they came out with. So I'll have to look oh. into that. Cool. And the then Twitch is one I actually do own. So that that one I do do have. I, I've been pondering getting a Switch, but it's just like money wants to go somewhere else. So it just never comes across anymore anywhere. I won't oh, force you, you said- as long as the money goes towards the track. Yeah, I was just about to say, so you're saving up for the next track day. I got it. Perfect. No, no. I mean, I told Tony the other day, honestly, I'm working my way up uh, little by little, preparing for next year, buy the helmet, like brake pads, tires, and just like working my way up, building my way up for, so when next year rolls around, I'm just like, I have everything prepared. If a track day comes on where I can go with Tony and everything, bam, just throw everything on it. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. We'll get a little deeper in it. Yeah. And then uh, another good anime that everybody's like been in love with, especially now with the the whole situation with the Kyoto Animation Fire Studio. Um, they did release the sequel movie, which apparently the creator or I think the director was hesitant to even release a sequel for this movie 
just out of respect for the works of the people that were involved that were killed from the fire. But with its fourth week out in theaters in Japan, it's still staying at three, number three in Japan, uh, grossing at about $1.28 billion, uh, billion yen, which is about $12.18 million in U.S. currency. Damn. It's not that much compared to like here in U.S., honestly, because usually you'll all... Well, like it's, it. for, it's for um, videos released from there, though. Yeah. 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 yeah that's huge. No, it's, yeah, and this is, like I said, it's still staying at number three domestically in Japan in theaters. So, I mean, if I if anything, I think it's just more like the love and support for the animation, the studio, especially from what they've gone through and everything. Okay, nice. Yeah, I don't know if you know anything about that, like, whole Kyoto animation fire situation that happened, Jaime. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who are, like, really invested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, when that happened, it was kind of a big news with like my group of friends Mm -hmm. so like i still have friends over there who posted about it because it's like you know it's pretty crazy that you know an animation studio got like set on fire like that that's just nuts yeah and especially on how much it affected the industry and everything Mm -hmm. yeah but uh sad to say it i mean like it's sad that we lost so many great people that did great works especially but the fact that this company is still staying strong and like they know that they have, they have the support of like us and everybody else is just like it just shows that like we're there for them especially in the community mm-hmm. oh yeah but yeah that's pretty much what i have for a little bit for updates on like the anime films and everything nice okay well i just had a quick little story that i felt was uh mention worthy at least before we get down to the interview with jaime is it another ev story Yes. <laughs> nice. So, Jaime. Yeah. Um, you love JDM. Yeah, of course. All right. So, the iconic RX-7. Yeah. What does it have in common with future EV coming out of Mazda? Are they making it electric? Nope. Oh, so it's still going to stay rotary? They're both going to have rotaries. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Apparently, ever since they've been a mess, you know, they've been messing around with the new rotary engine for the last three, four years now. Yeah. And apparently they finally decided what they're going to do with it. Obviously, they can't have it standalone as an engine anymore. That's not where the industry's going. It's not efficient, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So they are actually going to use it as a range extender. Oh, so kind of like a... Like, like a gen- like a power generator. Okay, so essentially that's just going to go in there and kind of like um, fill in wherever electricity is lacking. Yes. Uh, so I thought this was super interesting because it's like the rotary was known for being so inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually going to help extend range for the most efficient vehicles ever produced by Mazda now. Mm-hmm. Well, in a, in a way, it's kind of interesting because... Um, as you know, the rotary engines are very small in displacement. I think they're all like 1.3 liters. Yes, they're all very, very small displacement. But they're still kind of heavy because they use cast iron plating. And at least the la- most recent time uh, that I went to Japan in February, the Mazda RX-8 was actually one of the most popular vehicles that I saw in uh, my travel around there. And we were really kind of around um, kind of rural areas, so we hit up a uh, what was it? 
Fuji Speedway and Tsukuba uh, Time Attack. And yeah, the, I would say just driving around, we saw a lot of RX-8s. That's insane. Do they just last longer over there? Because out yeah. here, the only time I see them is when they're broken down for sale. Dude, and one of the one of my buddies who went over there with me, um, he said he used to be big into RX sevens, even uh, drifted them in, uh, I think, in like Formula D for a little bit. Um, but we bumped into a guy with an FC RX seven, so that's like the early nineties one. Yeah, I love those. Mm-hmm. At what was it? Uh, Daikoku parking lot. So it's the one um, near Yokohama where it's like that big loop de loop. Uh, exit yeah and and this guy did something like incredible for anybody that knows rx7s this guy walked up to a stone cold car cranked it once it turned on and drove away no smoke we were all shocked we're like that's bullshit he must have just (laughs) last night because there's no way an rx7 would just turn on cold and just like idle perfectly and drive away Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they're built a little bit. Di- There's something different for sure. Cause out here, mm-hmm. especially RX-8s, they're always broken. I think it's, um, from what I was hearing, um, when we were filling up over there, they use a higher octane gas. And since they don't, uh, use EGR valves over there as, um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure they don't use EGR. So they maintain a high octane when they were, uh, as the fueling goes in there since so a lot less knock it wouldn't have to do anything with like conversion for like emissions here in the u.s would it that it has everything to do with them i'm just i'm just trying to make sure <laughs> no and, and that is a big thing like another thing that's really weird is um over there you know how ca uh, in california we have those like special nozzle hoses or whatever that go on top of the nozzle to yeah. prevent, like uh evap or whatever mm-hmm. they don't have that over there so you like get high off of the fumes from like gasoline over there. <laughs> Damn, this is bad. But yeah, they run a higher octane, and that's probably why gas is so expensive over there. Yeah, because I mean, if I guess if you kind of think of the nature of a ro- rotary, it kind of relies on some you know crazy high compression. <laughs> oh, sorry. So I mean, I figure that yeah, the fact that we have such lower octane that maybe mm-hmm. it just doesn't help the motor. With its yeah. uh, longevity, mm-hmm. kind of like running eighty nine octane on something that's running ninety one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the last part of it is also that because of this rotary, we probably won't see it in the U.S. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that, that's a very good point. It's so typical, though. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. It just all pieces together. It's basically an EVFD. <laughs> <laughs> So right now it looks like they're going to be getting it for Japan and uh, some places in Europe. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's going to be the MX-30 that they're putting it into. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I, I kind of saw that and I was like, oh, that's interesting and kind of sad at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's all I had for any uh, updates. So do you want a tissue for your tears? You know, I'll I'll do it later. I'll do it later. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Jaime. So you you actually, uh, I knew you had went to Japan. I didn't know you actually studied abroad there for a couple semesters. 
Yeah, so I did two uh, summer study abroads um, over in the island of Kyushu, which is one of the main uh, four main islands. Mm-hmm. So it's like the southern, um, southern western island of uh, Japan, and I studied abroad at a place called Fukuoka. And kind of, I know this is going to sound weird, and it's going to fall in line perfectly for a lot of the weaves over here. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be like, "Oh my God, how can I sign up for this?" But I studied at Fukuoka Joshidai. So oh, for wow. those hardcore weaves that can actually understand what I'm saying, Fukuoka is obviously the name of the place. Joshidai is women's college, but. <laughs> when I first, when I, I know, I know, I can hear him screaming. But when I, I mean, it sounds awesome. But remember, I went over there to deal with cars, and I essentially went out to like a place where they all wanted to go do karaoke, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I, I'm looking for like a junkyard. Can I? Can I find like? Some used JDM engines that you guys sell for like two hundred bucks or something. It's like, it's like my my style of G- uh, karaoke is something screaming loud. <laughs> exactly, and like I only had one year of study when I first went over there, so I couldn't say anything more of like the equivalent of like "Donde está la biblioteca." Donde so. está la biblioteca? <laughs> but like, so this Japanese. was uh, this was before you learned Japanese. So I had taken one year, and I went first time over there with only one year of uh, Japanese language. And anybody who's taken Japanese knows that that is not enough. So then when I came back again for the second time, second summer, I had gotten way more focused in uh, speaking. So I ended up uh, doing a lot better with speaking. Uh, reading and writing were probably my worst um, areas of the language, but speaking I, I got really, really good at. And then now I think um, those that know the JLPT scoring for like proficiency, um, when I graduated college, I was somewhere around a JLPT3 level, but like a high JLPT3 for speaking. So. You could pretty much drop me off anywhere in Japan and I'd be able to communicate well. I only took around. intro to Japan in college. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, man. I think it just got harder once we got into kanji. I was like, shit. Yeah, no. And the weird thing is when you get into kanji, you learn to depend on it because there's... So with Japanese, they only have so many vowel, vowel uh, combinations. Yes. So the way you can differentiate like something like a uh, bioing and bioing, which is like beauty parlor and hospital is to look at the kanji and say, <laughs> okay, which one is this? It's like, Hey, I, I don't look so good. Maybe I should go to the bioing. And you're like, okay, are you sick? So or do you good. need, a, need haircut? a haircut? <laughs> <laughs> so, those, those are like, you know, those are uh, kind of interesting things that you kind of have to figure out that or if you show somebody something and or like a picture and they can say yeah, which is like, oh, that's a nice picture or yeah, which is no. So it's like, um, can you show me the kanji? So when I, I graduated, I could read and write about 800, lo- uh, 800 different kanji. 
but that was about as far as I went. After I stopped studying, it was just uh, too hard to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember like a similar situation with myself because I went to Japan back in 2015, but like just mm. for like about 10 days. Okay. And kind of like what you said right now, show a picture. We were at a restaurant that didn't have an English menu. Oh, and that's the best. Yes. So we did notice that like restaurants that don't have English menu, the food is much better. Yeah. And so we were there chilling. We or- we ordered the food, and my buddy was like being stubborn that he did not want to learn chopsticks because he didn't want to struggle. <laughs> so he asked he asked the waiter for a fork. So we we found the translation for fork, said it to the waiter. The waiter didn't know what he was talking about. Oh, that happens it, all the time. And then she we showed her a picture. She still didn't know what it was. It looks like she's never used a fork in her life. And so uh, across the hall, the dining hall, this. This Japanese mafia looking dude just like got up, just started walking towards us because he heard the commotion. And he was like, I guess he started talking to her. And when we showed him the picture, he's like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. So he just yeah. goes to the back of the corner, gets it, gives it to her, and then he gave it to her. And so we just say thank you to him. <laughs> so funny story with that. Um, there's these things called book offs over there. And since the only manga that I actually knew uh, was Initial D, I was like, dude, I'm over here. Let me buy some of this initial D manga. And then I can like learn because it's written out there and I, I can kind of read and I understand what's going on there. So I spent like five minutes asking the guy, initial D manga, Karimaska. And it's like, do you have initial D manga? And he's just like, what? <laughs> so like, I kept on saying initial D and did you beatbox Euro beats and then like pretend uh, to drive a car? You know, and I was like frustrated. I'm like, fuck, dude. I, I know the name of the freaking thing. I, I hear it. And then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Japanese it. Inisharu D manga garimaska. And then he's like, oh, Inisharu D. I'm like, fuck you. Fuck <laughs> 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 you. Say, you were just having fun. So yeah, oh, that's funny. Bucks and I got the whole season thing. Nice, that's a deal. Yeah, and it was, dude. Like their used manga is super cheap. Nice. Yeah, I, that I is awesome, man. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know you re- you went recently too, right? To do some more car part hunting. Yeah, so I went with uh, two of my buddies. We did um, a lemons race together. One of them is a pro, like, I I still consider him a pro drifter, even though he only competed in the D1 series when they came to the U.S. And the other guy's a um, freelance engineer. So we rented a van, and we just slept in the van and drove around all of, like, northern the north of tokyo to like sukuba circuit fuji speedway then we went to nagoya to toyota museum so we were sleeping in the van down by the river that's pretty cool <laughs> nice nice <laughs> um how was shipping to get some parts out did you get any good finds so what again this is kind of sad and um in the previous uh podcast with 91 octane um Honda's not popular in Japan, so I wasn't able to get much Honda-specific stuff. Really? Yeah, I know it's shocking to everybody when I tell them that Honda's not popular over in Japan. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie. When I went to Japan, 
The first car dealership I ever saw was a Volkswagen dealership. Oh, I believe it. I, I was like, it. It, it just stunned me. I was like, I did not see any other dealership for any other the car brands, especially for Japan makes. But like, I just saw Volkswagen. I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah. They're more in like rural areas where it's easier to have like more. Um, kind of, think of like the suburbs is really where you're going to see it more than like really expensive. Um, in the, in 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 comparison to the city, then yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're a little bit more like New York, where it's not really necessary to have a vehicle. They'll do train, subway, things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so that's interesting. So, what's the popular, I guess, domestic for them over there? If it's not Honda, so when we over there, when we were over there, the most popular vehicle we saw over there was the Toyota Aqua, which is the Prius C. And mm. to give you an idea of how popular it was when we were going at the up garages nearby, my buddy found a Tom's strut bar for a. Uh, Prius C essentially. <laughs> just like the Toms? Yeah. What? So these things are tracking now? Dude, like they make everything for them. There was like body kits, wheels, everything. Oh shit. <laughs> everything for them. Like aqua badges and all this other shit. I'm and trying then, to envision uh, a Prius C <laughs> raced out on the track now. Do they have anything for the Yugo? So no Yugo stuff because <laughs> car don't don't entertain him don't entertain him just just ignore but, that <laughs> like the the most popular honda vehicle but there's uh the honda fit because it's like a five-door very common for a young family or whatnot i'm That's, seeing that car actually gain popularity here honestly yeah i think I mean, they actually killed it did they yes i think they're stopping production on the fit yeah but were they going to come up with like a Type R version of it or nah. some, something? I no, remember. you're thinking about Toyota doing the GR Yaris. No, yeah, yeah. there was there was going to be. Yeah. It had to do with uh, the fit. The fit. Yeah, I don't know. I know at least here in the U.S. they're they're stopping production on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's a, that's actually pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess let's transition now. You obviously drive JDM, (laughs) and you are an instructor with NASA. Yeah, so that's why um, I guess Tony had me on because of uh, how I kind of fit pretty well with the whole anime background and Japanese culture background and the car culture part. So I'm an instructor with uh, NASA Pro Racing, and I've been doing a... Kind of your entry level, uh, club level racing uh, orgs since uh, 2008. And I was uh, Tony's first instructor over at Auto Club. Yep. And uh, Small World, I happened to hear of Jaime on 91. Okay. Yep. And that's kind of where I decided to go try a NASA event. And out of pure chance and coincidence, I ended up with you as the instructor too. Well, it wasn't too much of a big of a chance because I am a I drive a twenty uh, twenty oh nine Civic Si, and when I saw Type R right there, I was like, "Oh shit, I need to jump on that one." <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you also push an instructor kind of out of the way? I didn't push him as much as jump 
left in front of him. <laughs> he he was like, "Oh, are you going for that one?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And then he's like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> but yeah, so one of the things I wanted to get you on for was like, so obviously, like I'm starting. I'm still new to it. I'm still kind of like. I'm still in the beginning stages of just getting myself in, getting myself comfortable with the whole program. But I get a lot of people always asking me about where to start. Yeah. Like where, where would you start at and where would you do this? And you know, why did you go this route? You know? So, I mean, I've done events with, um, you name it. Most of your popular ones, speed ventures, extreme speed, uh, Togi to track. All of them have their pluses and minuses, but I think as a beginner, currently available, there's really only one organization that really does the coaching that you need to build yourself up from a complete noob that doesn't know where the line is, what breaking points are, um, working with the flags, and that is really NASA. And obviously, I'm biased because I'm an instructor there, but I'm not an actual like paid member there. So like I could go with any other organization and anytime I see a beginner, I'm just like, you know what, just go with NASA. If you want to just do like a couple of their HPD programs. And if you can move up their HPD ranking system, once you're in HPD three, you can go and be in any of the like club level track track events. And you'll be pretty good to do uh, any of their advanced or high intermediate groups just based on the way that they uh, coach you up. Yes, and I have seen um, three and four go out. And yeah, they're they're out there going pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, and Yeah, go ahead. Oh, like I said, I've done a couple track days now not just with uh, nasa i've done with speed ventures extreme track events togue to track like i've I've went through a couple of them now mm-hmm. and some are better than others mm-hmm. like you were saying some have some pros and cons mm-hmm. i like speed ventures more yeah. for like a track that i've already done mm-hmm. and i've already kind of learned through nasa yeah because it seems like every time i go to a nasa event it's always well given you've been my instructor, but <laughs> yeah. you know, um, from what I've heard and from what you've said, like the other instructors are the same way that the instruction is so much better. You learn that much faster. Mm-hmm. And honestly, once you learn and you're comfortable, that's where you're going to start getting some speed and actually enjoying yourself more out there yeah. rather than kind of like sloppily finding your way and, trying to follow people who might not even know what they're doing either. (laughs) And I mean, like, look, when you're first going out there, um, I think I would highly recommend um, if you're going out there for your first time and you have like no carding experience or no auto X experience, I would recommend that if you're going to go out to big willow, get an instructor there. If you're going to go out to button willow, get an instructor there. Auto Club, if we still have that one next year, um, get an instructor there. Because even though you get passed up to uh, from HPD 1, where we have everybody go out with instructors, to an HPD 2, where you can, you're still with the HPD 1 people, but you're allowed to drive without instructors. Um, 
there's just like the little nuances that you're not going to get by yourself that's going to really help you uh, step up. And I think uh, you and I um, kind of went through that where with this past event. So, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could speak to the difference of like having somebody just take your car out there and then sit with you and tell you what you were doing and kind of bring you up to speed that way. Yeah. So, like for me, I did watch some videos of Button Willow before going, but there were so many different configurations. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what configuration was going to be when we showed up there. Mm-hmm. And when I actually got out there, you know, it was it's obviously completely different from watching a video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried to follow kind of the line, you know, and just from my little bit of experience, no, okay, I don't really want to take this too too fast. I don't really want to take this too wide, but it didn't really feel good, you know? You weren't comfortable. No, I was not comfortable. Yeah, and that's, so, that's the biggest well, thing. Yeah, no, that's the biggest thing. And because um, when you first went out to this uh, – because I signed you off for HPD2, which I'm still confident in my decision. It's mainly based off of your communication skills with other drivers and how safe you were um, passing. But if you go from like your first session to where I actually drove your car out and then where I rode with you, I mean, I saw like a gigantic difference between oh, it was, each difference. Yeah, that was session. night and day. Yeah. That was absolutely night and day. Like, even if uh, everything from driver confidence to where I was driving at on what line, mm-hmm. and obviously that all that stuff came with speed, and it was just, it was a night and day. It was two completely different people driving just within a few hours. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and I'm sure that if we were to bump into you, like, let's say your ghost or whatever, um, per the, like, Gran Turismo style, yeah. of your first session with your last session where we were working on those two sections where I wanted you to stay flat in like these kind of curves, but they weren't really too much of a curve. Like I knew your car could handle uh, staying flat in through there. Um, dude, you would have lapped yourself. I'm I'm almost 100% sure on that one. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And right. I mean, for for Manny's sake, um, on Saturday I had a, I was instructing a sixteen-year-old girl who I don't think she has her driver's license yet, and um, she was out there with a stock two thousand ten Civic automatic, mm-hmm. all like all stock. I smelled the brakes like that thing was <laughs> as stock as stock can be. So there, there's this whole mentality that, oh, I need X, Y, and Z thing before I go out on the track. And really the most important thing um, to go out on the track is really seat time. Yeah. Yeah. So I think to kind of reiterate that, it's like you don't necessarily need to have brand new sticky tires. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to have your coilovers done, wide set up. Yeah. Like basically as long as the car is safe. Mm-hmm. For driving on the road, mm-hmm. it's it's more your driving practice and, mm-hmm. and learning that's going to be the biggest difference. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, if you if you wanted to do like the bare minimum in going out to a track day, and this is like pretty much carte blanche for any um, any vehicle, bleed the brakes with a good brake fluid, a dot four or something, just so that. 
they're not going to get spongy and maybe go with a little bit of a stronger brake pad like a ceramic or something or an HP plus or something like that. And at least for the pace of HPD one, you're going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember me and Tony talked about that one time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be pushing the car around hard like you guys, especially because I'm going to be learning, but I know I'll have that peace of mind though, that I was prepared as well. No, of course. And yeah. uh, that just goes back to, you have to feel confident in your mm-hmm. vehicle. Well, it's kind of like what I told you when uh, we were we were trying to do apex therapy and I was telling you to come out and drive it. It's kind of like you're going to go as fast as you feel comfortable going. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you're, we're not going to nobody's going to force you to go full throttle through a turn. Or no, no, like I know. That. That. <laughs> so it's kind of like you you're, you're going to advance as quickly as you want to and mm-hmm. you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So, Tony, um, since you were telling me you had taken some vid, um, you had uh, looked at some video before coming out to Button Willow, what was your impression before you got to Button Willow? And what was it after leaving Button Willow? Kind of curious about that. So, before, I guess you don't really have like a full appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. So, you're kind of seeing it, and it's like, I've seen, you know, I've seen multiple videos of it. It's, it's, probably one of the most popular tracks out here you know yeah and um i kind of just saw it more like i knew there was different configurations i knew that it had those little areas but to me it really didn't seem as high speed or as anything like crazy uh sharp turn so i was kind of like well i guess the biggest benefit is that didn't really look like it was super uh um, destructive if you went off track. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that button willow is probably one of the easiest ones to on the car if you go off. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't really sure about that, and you know, I wasn't sure. I guess if it was going to live up to the hype, yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. But after driving it and then kind of thinking about, okay, I only drove one configuration, but they can change it up, and now instead of having to blast through this thing like uh, the S's. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting up to at the end of the day up to like 96 mm-hmm. before having a hard break but it's like if they would have done the sweeper instead then that would completely change how I go through there Yeah. so I was like okay I kind of see why this track is so popular now I see how versatile it actually is with the different configurations yeah I find that Button Willow is a very rewarding track if you like Depending on how you set up for some corners, you can really carry a lot of speed out there. And especially with your Type R, it's very well set up in the sense that mid-corner feels very comfortable. And you can really early, um, just early throttle out of most of the corners. Oh, yeah. I found that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was great. <laughs> yeah, the nice. last session, I, I was pushing you a little bit more um, to take, especially going into the S's, because we were yes. doing configuration uh, 25 counterclockwise, for those that want to know, and it was with the addition of something called the A section. And that's a very rare configuration. Very few times we get the A section. Yeah, I actually did very find difficult... it in the timer. Yeah, it's a very difficult um part because it's essentially like a 90 degree left-hand turn that makes you feel like you can uh 
apex it a lot earlier than you should. And then if you do that, you kind of like understeer almost off off the track into the tire wall, which is not good. But if you nail it, (laughs) you can be so early on the gas and you can just gain on a lot of the uh, faster cars. Like that Hellcat we passed. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I guess the the background for this was the third session. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it was the third session. I was finally kind of comfortable because I had went on a ride along with Jaime and his time trials, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, is a whole so completely different from HPD because they're so spaced apart and everybody's so fast that everybody's going flat out and it doesn't matter if there's somebody right in front of you they're both confident enough and they're both fast enough where they're still going flat out mm-hmm. and there's no traffic it's it's actually kind of incredible to witness yeah yeah especially after getting caught in so much traffic in the hpds <laughs> we deal with a uh, various level of uh, driver and what we do in time trials is uh we grid you up by your uh lap time and i mean i think in the time trial group that you and i went out when you rode passenger and in your hpd one and two group we had probably close to the same amount of people but i mean we were out there for a good couple laps and aside from like one person that was pretty much it yeah it's like you had the track to yourself versus on the hpd one and two every half a lap you're running into somebody Mm mm-hmm so it, it was it was seriously actually kind of impressive to see. Yeah. But it uh works, man. Yeah, it definitely works. But uh yes, as I was saying, uh third session out. I had already did a ride along with Jaime. I, I got more comfortable on the track, was practicing the lines, and I had a Hellcat behind me, like riding me the whole time. And you know, the guy was pretty decent, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh as since I was practicing those lines in taking the where uh, Jaime kind of showed me where I needed to be, setting myself up for the turn, holding it, and then going flat out before exiting out. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice until the very till my braking zone, basically, because I always kind of look at my rear view on the braking zone just to make sure nobody's too, too close behind me or something. I noticed I had put like 400 feet on the Kelcat. <laughs> <laughs> and it was coming through a straightaway. So yeah. I was like, did I really carry like that much speed throughout the corner to get ahead of him like that? So by the fourth session, Jaime actually came out with me and uh, he kind of, you know, verbally coached me to kind of help polish up some of the lines and push me a little bit harder through sections where I was still unsure how much faster I can go through there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, the Hellcat was fast. He passed me up on um, while we were practicing the lines and we get back to that turn. uh, It was Riverside. It's called right. Jaime. Yeah. So we get back to the Riverside turn and he's, you know, he's already, he was already a good length ahead. But as soon as we came out of the Riverside turn and we're going down the straight again, we closed the gap like incredibly <laughs> fast. Yeah, <laughs> It should not have been like that. It was actually kind of insane. <laughs> and the reason he got faster was because he was behind us when we first went out. So he was able to like follow you. And and learn, yeah. Pick where up you on were my line. The car. Yeah, as I was coaching you through, because that really did help him. Because I did um, see once he passed, 
once he passed us and you gave him the point by that he was making several mistakes in some of the corners. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because he, he was wasn't doing following good. us anymore. Yeah, because he wasn't. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't have that like uh, red mist that was guiding him through. And because yeah. of that. Kind yeah. of like uh, if he can do what I can do it. Yeah, exactly. If he can go to this speed and make this turn at this speed and break here, probably I could too. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it looked like it was on really sticky tires. It didn't look like it was a stock Hellcat either. No, he had some crazy livery on it, like a whole <laughs> different hood on it. Like it, it looked like he had put some money into it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a fast Hellcat. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I'm pretty sure stock those things probably don't turn for nothing. Mm, no, no, and he no. looked like he has some wide tires on that. That yeah. thing looked pretty hooked up. I was even questioning if it was an actual Hellcat the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had a student that I had just promoted to HPD2, so I had to go over there and like reiterate a couple uh, points that I wanted him to m- make sure um, he nailed, and I didn't want him to go off on his first session out by himself. And on the way back, I'd like, you know, everybody's got really cool cars and I just complimented the guy with the Hellcat and I'm like, Oh man, this thing is dope. Is this a real Hellcat? And he's like, yeah, man. I'm like, Oh, dope. And I came into Tony's kind of I'm like, yeah, dude, it's a real Hellcat. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> we both giggled like schoolgirls. It was kind of funny, <laughs> but it, it does kind of show a real Testament to like the type of instruction that's available there, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And actually how much, how much you can improve with little time in a sense. So like if we were, if I was, let's say I was doing. Yeah. I mean, it it really all boils down to the driver. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, a a lot of that is you guys though, without you guys, I don't think I would have picked it up as fast, you know? Yeah. If let's say I was doing nothing but a speed venture events and I've already Mm -hmm. went through theirs and their instruction is nowhere close to this and i'm i mean and also i I don't want to sound disparaging to the other organizations i mean they do charge less than nasa does nasa does charge a premium and that is really where you're getting that difference Mm -hmm. and look as long as there's people being taken out of the canyons and the streets and being brought out to the track like i'm i'm 100 for it you know if you don't go with nasa that's fine. I would prefer you guys uh, do that, but you know, as long as you're not out on the street and you're learning, far be. It. I mean, for me, I think it'll, you'll learn at a slower rate than if you were to go through NASA's uh, system. And it's because um, I took Tony out in the HPD three and four group, whereas that's where I want kind of Tony to push himself um once we get a little bit more seat time with him uh to push himself into and you got to see kind of like the pace and kind of the caliper uh, caliper caliber of the uh drivers there and what what did you think about hpd3 in terms of the pace of the cars there the pace was uh was pretty much me at the towards like the end of the day at Mm -hmm. a good lap Mm -hmm. and that was like their pace the entire time Mm -hmm. yeah which was incredibly solid and that kind of like you kind of uh iterate iterated what i kind of wanted to say in the beginning was basically i've done uh speed ventures the instruction is not at the same level as nasa but it is great Mm -hmm. i'm still gonna do speed venture events for sure i actually enjoy their events i i love 
Like I went there for the Roval after I had done it with NASA. <laughs> and I already with because of what I did with NASA, when I went back with Speed Ventures, I didn't really have to worry so much about their instruction, but the rest of their organization um as far as how they organize it, they pre-plan and they grid and everything mm-hmm. else. I love it. I actually really enjoy Speed Ventures. Yeah, and it's um and the like that's the thing that kind of sucks about NASA is the limited amount of uh track events that they have. I think it's usually like about 6 per year for the SoCal region. Yeah. So, you really want to get more more like seat time and you're you're going to have to like reach out to those other organizations. But as long as you have a good um foundation like an HPD 1 and 2, um I mean, you're you're going to do good. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that that kind of is the the biggest downfall I think with NASA is just the number of events. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it, I think as as far as starting, I do think it's actually a great program to start with. Yeah. Is there a reason why they don't do too much events or or is well, it just because of COVID? Well, no. Um that's just kind of been the standard because with NASA we have wheel to wheel competition. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot more taxing on the racers. So you got to think about it. The, the racers are doing two races every weekend. And that takes like a lot out of those guys. Because they're mm-hmm. most of them are buying sticker. Like the front runners are buying sticker tires for every race. So now think about how much that is going to be when it's, you know, Toyo RRs or Hoosiers, which are like $300 a piece. Sometimes for like the spec Miatas, so some of the bigger cars, you're talking about thousands of dollars just to go out there and be competitive. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's done mainly for the. So NASA's uh, culture is that we want to bring in HPD one people and build them up to be our future racers, mm-hmm. and NASA kind of thrives on maintaining our racers in there and our whole curriculum there the whole curriculum for that the events is to make sure that it's not too taxing on uh the racers and Mm -hmm. they're gonna blow up their engines they're gonna hurt their cars because the spec series are designed to make things really really close so that gives them enough time to you know keep their cars well maintained and uh i did actually hear one of the instructors say something that uh or i think it was an email that HPDE was actually a phrase created by NASA. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it because um, I know that NASA was the original creator of the Spec Miata series, the Miata series, Miata only class. Yeah, and also like I, I've seen on the other events they do have like competitions, like I think uh, the Spec Corvette with Speed Ventures. I think it is. And other things like that, but if you kind of look at the NASA roster with actual competition, they have a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah, like for in terms of spec racers, we have spec 944, which is the Porsche 944, uh, spec E30, which is a big class, as you saw over there, Honda Challenge, which is the one that I'm trying to work myself into, um, spec Miata, which is the most popular. Um, series in north america i think every region has at least 20 drivers for that series 
I actually didn't know that. Yeah, there, there's like a, a marketing standpoint from Mazda where there's more Mazdas racing in North America than any other uh, manufacturer at any given Sunday. So, yeah, huh. it's it's a big deal. Like, Mazda does do uh, really good support for their Spec Miata people. And, yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge, but it's so expensive because with the spec, it limits what you can modify. So all of the little things that you can do to tweak a vehicle is just, like, right there. The, like, gains are so minimal, so you have to do, like, five Every or six Every single things. one. <laughs> Really? So that's actually kind of interesting because my idea was to get into Spec Miata later. Oh. But I didn't know it was that expensive. I thought it was, I thought Spec Miata would be on the cheaper end. I think small so. car, small tires, you know? Oh no, and that's that is true, and that's one of the main uh selling points. I think in terms of overall cost, uh, it would be hard. It would be hard for me to say, but I would say probably more of the budget-oriented stuff is going to be Honda somewhere Challenge. W- Honda Challenge, um, probably Spec Nine Four Four. But if you buy like just a built car already, they're all going between like low eight thousand to like twelve thousand. But like a Spec Miata, like something that's at least mid-pack and higher, those guys are going for fifteen plus. Oh wow! Yeah, I've seen Spec Miatas like NAs and, and NBs, so that's the one with the f- fixed headlights mm-hmm. going for like mid twenties. Oh wow! Yeah, and for a race car, that's expensive, especially for something that's over twenty years old. Yep, <laughs> I think that's worth more than my El Camino <laughs> <laughs> or the Yugo. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wow, that's actually kind of crazy. I didn't know that uh, Spec Miata got up to those numbers. Yeah, I mean, you can look on uh, racingjunk.com, and they, that's a pretty good uh, resource for finding like used uh, race cars that are kind of like all over. Um, it's like a classified for just racing stuff uh, from mm-hmm. all over the North America. So you can yeah, I was, uh, I was scouring the website right before I bought the Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly for a fox, but <laughs> yeah. I think uh an American iron car is over twenty usually. Yeah. So Manny, uh since I have you on here, what is it like for you that you feel is the biggest thing um holding you back? And again, I'm I'm not the type of the person that's gonna be mean to a, a newcomer. I, I just like to hear because it's something that I can use in instruction to make sure that I have a future student um, comfortable while they're going out. If it's something that I can address uh, with other students, that that would help me a lot. I mean, you pretty much covered a lot right now that like gave me so so much information regardless right now. So there's nothing really holding me back. It's just more like prep, honestly. That's that's mm. my idea or what I think. It's just prep, honestly. Because before I was trying to get a helmet and I was when I was going to join with Tony, but mm-hmm. update to that. Sorry. Uh, so I actually asked Jaime, and we were totally misinterpreting the rules for that. Really? Yes. <laughs> so for HPD, you could have had a 2015, and they would not have cared, even in a year from now. 
it, the rules are more stringent when you're actually racing. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that goes the same even for if you changed out to a uh, in like an old FIA bucket racing seat. Okay. If yeah. you're in HPD, you're actually probably okay. Yeah, so for like for me, for instance, I'm driving with a bucket seat and a harness. Those don't need to be inspected; they just have to be in a good condition um, uh, for time trials. And with time trials, you're you're perfectly fine. It's not until you do wheel to wheel. So for someone like you, Manny, uh, I I would have to double check the rules, but I believe for HPDE. They do allow motorcycle helmets. However, I don't recommend that. I say spend the money and get an Full SA. Face. Yeah, SA. Uh, yeah, 2015 I, I, or newer. So, because uh, originally that was like the first kind of hurdle that kind of hesitated mm. us was mm-hmm. that we were thinking that if he bought a 2015, by the end oh, of no. 2020, no. it was going to be useless. No. So we're like, oh, we're. We're going to have to just no, wait. No, no. And then we found somebody doing pre-orders and they're like, it won't be here till like late October. And Yeah. Yeah. So it was just more of like the timing and just like thinking about that hurdle, honestly. Yeah. So I think it's maybe uh, information mm-hmm. <laughs> is what's missing yeah, a lot out there. And I mean, that that's fair. And that's why, you know, one of the reasons why I like uh, coming on with like 91 Octane and with you, because there's sometimes it's kind of hard to like really understand that, hey, this isn't this is really what you need to go out there and if you feel like you're not like like Manny's saying prepared then you're not going to feel that comfortable about taking the next step to signing up for your annual membership and then signing up for the actual event yeah kind of like uh i guess like for an overview you don't need to have a fully prepped race car no is road road i guess just say road worthy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you would take it to a trip, you know, on a three-hour drive trip and you feel safe and comfortable, you're probably okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Saturday I was with a, a 16-year-old and she was driving her daily driver and it's a bone stock Civic with hubcaps on it. Like, stock is stock <laughs> and beef. Yep. And we were, we were muscling it around. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's some great information to definitely put out there. Uh, hopefully anybody listening, they're getting some good information from this too for any any uh, track curious things they have going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, my Instagram or if anybody needs to message or whatever, I'm sure they can find me. I think I'll be tagged in like one of your Instagram posts and if not, it's a B-I-B underscore 555 on uh Instagram, if you need que- to answer questions, I may not know all the answers, but I could probably re- redirect you to a spot where you can find the answers that you need. Yes, and uh, yes, you will be tagged on the on the mm-hmm. uh, show post for sure. And I think uh, I actually tagged you a few times while I was racing yesterday. Anyways, yeah. we're recording this on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, this is some great information. Hopefully, everybody gets some good. Uh, Good knowledge, and you know, if you are curious about it, come out and try it. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing is just come out and try it. Obviously, is like we said, as long as your car's roadworthy, you're not leaking oil, mm-hmm. you know, you're not bald tires or mm-hmm. grinding brakes. <laughs> yeah, 
come out, try it, and they're going to keep you safe. They're going to educate you. They're going to teach you, and you're going to have mm-hmm. a blast out there. And, I mean, instruction is for pretty much anybody. I'm, I'm sure Tony, um, I don't know if you remember, but there were a couple times where I told you, hey, I'm going to go out with somebody else because I'm trying to get more instruction. I want to get better. And, you know, even though I am an instructor for, like, the beginners, that doesn't mean that I've stopped learning. There's yeah. always more to learn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, also, do you remember we talked about... uh? Toyota and the Supras. Yes. And they were giving out NASA memberships when you bought one. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I showed up to the track, there was a ton of new Supras there. Was there really? Yeah. Apparently, just so happened to show up on the day that they had the Supra track day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I guess they get a membership. And they get one free track day. And there was enough to where they literally gave the Supras their own run group for the free yeah. track day. They had a bunch of cameras set up. So I'm sure they were doing a ton of promotional vi- videos. Mm-hmm. And Jaime was actually doing some of the instruction for the new Supra owners. Yeah. So with those, um, I got I got a chance to ride in one. And I got a chance to do a lead and follow with a Supra one. Because these are literally people who just bought the car and then oh i get a free track day and then just showed up yeah did supra or did supra did toyota um send them in the mail uh, hey you've just voided your warranty <laughs> right <laughs> <clears throat> no there they were uh some like uh i guess there were some pro drivers who who come in from uh toyota and uh toyota from what is it is uh, tap g so toyota north america proving grounds brought both of their cars so they have a fully built supra for enduro racing and a fully built scion frs or toyota frs i forget what it's called now and those things are just beast but like tony was saying we had over like 22 toyota supras and we just gave them their own run group and we did the best that we could with them and i'll be honest the hype is real on those cars. They are so fast. They remind me kind of like, in my experience, what a built Subaru um, with like good tires coming out of a corner because they just accelerate so hard. The transmission on those things is is really impressive. I, I don't see a lot of weak points in that vehicle. Oh. Yeah. I mean, they are, they are pretty lightweight, right? I think um, from what I've seen on some of the vehicles um, that compete in like time uh, time attack series, they're like in the lower uh, three thousand pounds, so like thirty three, thirty two, depending if you got them or whatever. Yeah, but they make like something like over three hundred and fifty horsepower. So I mean, that's a pretty and, decent power to weight for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I mean with that transmission, I mean. One of my students who I, I got a student who was really struggling with pace, and it was moments where I said, "All right, get on throttle," and then the freaking computer did its thing and like snapped down to a lower gear. We picked up, and I was like, "Okay, get off the throttle." That was more than enough uh, for that <laughs> one. <laughs> I was like, "Shit, this thing buggies." Oh man. Yeah. So how much more us? Uh, 
sketchier did it feel with new with a new student doing that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I I've had so many uh, variations of students from older to younger, so it I just attacked it the same way as I would with any regular like HPD one student, and just like try to work on the fundamentals and go through there, but. Definitely the student that I had, he felt really, really nervous. So it was definitely trying to get him comfortable and get him to trust that what I was telling him um, that he could do, he could do it. So, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I thought that was super interesting that we just happened to show up on that day. Yeah. There were so many Supras, like yeah. every color, <laughs> every color that they come out in. I was just like, damn. So and it I looked a like a, shirt. oh, nice. Yeah. Free shirts. <laughs> so it looked like SEMA last year. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. We, I think, yeah, I, I couldn't even count them. I think they had like their own, their own whole section where there was just rows of them. And then yeah, periodically cause... throughout the day, you would just see a camera car and one of them just cruising through the, the areas. Uh -huh. Yeah, so we had at least for the super only uh, group, we had 22. So there was at least another four or five that were registered, um, just like in regular uh, HPDE. So yeah, like 20, like mid 20, mid to high 20s of uh, supers out there. It's a lot. Would this be a car you'd put on your list on buying? I mean, I'm not about that life, man. I got a 93 <laughs> Civic SI that I'm building and then a 2009 Civic SI. So that that's kind of where I'm budgeting. Like anything over the five digits, I'm just like, ah, that's, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Civic life. Yeah. How is that EG build coming? So I'm still waiting on the block. That's pretty much the only weak point that I've had. Um, currently, it's being built to Honda Challenge H4 rules. So I should be getting it back, hopefully, this week or next week or the following week or another week. I don't know. You know, machine shops, they have their own um, schedules and their own issues that they're going through with the whole COVID crisis and getting parts. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And that's still going to stay a street legal one as well, right? Yeah. So my goal with that one is to keep it street legal and carb compliant. Um, until, um, I'm ready to like be completed, uh, into H4. And I think, Short of the exhaust, it can stay carb compliant even in H4. Nice. Mm -hmm. Just like my Fox body. Carb <laughs> there compliant. We there we go. What are you looking at, Manny? This is an audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. No <That's>... comment. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, definitely I'm hoping to get the Fox body out next. If not, I'm more than happy to track the Type R. I have a blast every time I go. <laughs> oh, I'm down to help you anytime uh, you bring out that Type R. I mean, I love driving that thing. It's so easy. You know, you're the only person who's actually driven my car hard. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Other than I... that, maybe just people moving it around to park it. That's it. Yeah. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I try not to drive a student's car more than seven, seven-tenths of what I can do. Because then the student might want to copy what I was doing, and they might put themselves in a situation where they may not be able to get out of it. So I try and keep it around seven-tenths. Definitely. And honestly, it does kind of... uh. Because you know, like I said earlier, with the with the demon following me or yeah. the Hellcat following me, was that you know if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that doesn't work from car yes. to car. <laughs> no, it doesn't. So being able to see what you were able to do in it, mm-hmm. and knowing you weren't pushing it all the way, and you said it felt comfortable. I didn't hear the tires squealing. I didn't hear them. You know, I didn't no. feel the car getting loose anywhere. Mm-hmm. No. Seeing that, I was kind of like, okay. My car can 100% handle that speed. It can 100% take the turn like this, you know? Yeah, and I think the fastest we hit on the back straightaway, because I think it's like a half mile long or something like that, I think we hit like 125 when I was driving. I think so, somewhere around there, because I think that's what I was ending up hitting by the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine so, because we were trying to get you flat out on a couple sections uh, sections of the track where I, I think it would really help you. Yeah. The, speeds. the one that I wasn't able to match from when you drove it was the S's. That was tricky. That the was S, tricky. The S's, I think you were able to do about 105. Oh, yeah. I, I can't look at the speedo at that, at that spot. I just have um, to make sure I line everything up. Yeah. <laughs> well, that... <laughs> That one's tricky. It is tricky for sure. <laughs> yeah, if you hit the first berm like we did that one time when we, uh, you were driving, it really unsettles the car a little bit. Yeah, when I made the pass on that, uh, I don't even remember what car it was, but I made a pass and then it put me in a different position. I ended up hitting the berm a lot higher than I wanted to. Yeah, that was fun. It was very fun, but I think I was only able to get to about one or one about ninety six, ninety seven, mm. going through there. But in terms of the braking points, you were improving a lot because we actually heard your suspension bind up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I kept hearing that, and I was kind of like, what the heck is that at first? I was like, there's no way that was from my hard braking. I must have hit something. Did something come loose? (laughs) We were booking it. You were going flat out into those uh, braking zones, and when you really pushed on it, you could feel that um, tug on the seatbelt. That that's that's how you know you're going good. Super fun! I can't wait for the next one, man. Yeah, and Manny will be there helping out, so that's awesome. Yes, yes, awesome. So that that's the goal. Um, I believe you said the next one is going to be March. Typically. Hopefully, um, usually our season opener starts off in uh, Big Willow, so that's an easier track because there's only like nine turns. And it only runs one direction. So, yeah. I I believe that will be our first one. There might be like a crossover event in February with uh, NASA from uh, Arizona. And that might be at Chuck Walla. But I try not to go to that track. It's just so far away from me. Oh, okay. Chuck Walla is actually one I do want to go to. Where is that one located? Chuck Walla. <laughs> I don't know where Chuck Walla is, dude. Don't worry, there's nothing there. Is there like a notable area that you can there's say? There's a this? gas station an hour away almost. <laughs> oh my god. 
So you have to carry spare fuel, and I'm I'm sure Tony's gonna buy that Hunsaker that I was using. Yes, that gas tank was amazing. Yeah, I cut the time by like a hundred and ten percent. Exactly. That's something. Now, if you did Chuck Walla and you got a Manny to go, that's something Manny should definitely purchase. Oh, I yeah. can't recommend that thing any any more than I already do. I so, I just might buy two of them. Okay, so yeah, Chuck Walla is very actually very past Indio actually. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean even from where I'm at, it's it's still 100 miles. <laughs> yeah, it's still 100 miles from where I'm at and I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. But it is one track I do want to go to. Mm-hmm. I still have yet to do it, so yeah. Well, well, that's a really big drive for you, especially, right? Yeah, that's like almost a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive for me. Oof. Yeah. It's like me when I go to Bakersfield. I mean, that was me yesterday, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, I mean, it's a fair point. <laughs> fair point. It's a fair point. But yeah, so Big Willow in March is probably what the next event is. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good one, and like like uh, he was saying, there's not as many turns to kind of mm-hmm. have to remember. Yeah, and it's only one direction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's pretty fun too, especially for your car where you kind of have horsepower to actually take it up where you probably could never really take it up before. Yeah, you'll you'll have fun with it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, just and careful on turn nine, and outside of that, you're going to be fine. That's it. <laughs> I smell a premonition. <laughs> I was gonna say turn uh turn three. Yeah. Going up going up to the Oh yeah. Wait, Manny, what car do you have? A 17 Mustang GT. Oh yeah, turn three. Yeah. That, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Yeah, yeah. So I my very first big track was at Big Willow. And I went out there with a group of a, it was a private event. And it was all Mustangs, Camaros, pretty much. Oh yeah, they'll they'll have trouble there, absolutely. Oh ZL1 stuck yeah. up the hill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that the one that you guys were talking about a hill issue? Yeah. 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 Okay, so I know. I think I have an idea what you're talking about now. Yep, I've showed you the video before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the videos don't do justice to it because you're like literally going up what it feels like a parking garage of like two stories just going straight up. Oh yeah. And what happens is you go uh, from having camber and when you cross over, um, you go from having the camber to then having no camber on the corner. So then if it kind of tricks you into stepping on the gas a little bit earlier, but you just have to make sure you're nice and smooth with your inputs and anything with a lot of torque, you could easily loop it right there. Yeah. And the video I was talking about was actually from a, a GoPro from that day. Uh, and I was going through and uh, there was a uh, red flag for... No, no, no. I'm sorry. Actually, it was just a black flag. Mm. But they he was kind of like waving the red and black. So I was like, what the heck is he talking about? But he was warning me that somebody was stuck on that hill. Yeah. So I came to a stop and then he black flagged me to keep going slow and that's why I saw the 
oh, it was like a news yell one too. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, they had, and because of the way he got lodged, they couldn't tow him backwards back onto the track. Mm. So they had to drag him up the hill and then back down. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh yeah, because then they were worried that the car could flip. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can kind of see where the rear bumper and the tires were. Like, mm-hmm. it was going to be a very forceful up onto the track. There's no way, like going mm-hmm. up a curb, kind of. Yeah. So they had to drag him up the hill, and you just heard everything scraping. It was it was nasty. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Especially going off at Big Willow. Like, the thing is that Big Willow and streets, the dirt over there, it's a little bit of rocks. So if you ever go off there, you want to try and go straight because as soon as you go sideways, um, what will happen is there'll be rocks that lodge in between the your wheel, um, your wheel and your tire, so the bead of the tire, and it'll cause a deflation. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, Manny, we have a goal of March. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I'm going to set myself for a goal of March, hopefully, for the Fox body. Okay. Mm. And if not, I'm still going with Type R. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Jaime, why don't you uh, plug your Instagram one more time in case anybody has any questions or they want to reach out about uh, questions with starting up with NASA track racing? Yeah. So, my Instagram, BIB, <coughs> ah, BIB uh, underscore 555. If you have any questions, go ahead and uh, send them my way. I'm more than happy to um, respond. If I don't respond quickly, don't don't worry. I'll I'll get to you. But yeah, any anything that I can help you out with, even if you don't end up going with NASA and you want to shoot me a message about like something that you have a question about, that's uh, perfectly fine. Awesome. Well, with that, uh, we'll call this an episode. And Manny, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Yes, so you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnacceptedPod. And we do have a website, UnacceptedPod.com. And be sure to like, subscribe, review anywhere you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to send an unaccepted rev or any death threats, anything at all, you can email me at UnacceptedPodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you guys all next Wednesday. Bye Johnny. boy. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we I knew this is why we had you on. <laughs>